And so the three steps are my attempt at saying, all right, if I'm a layperson Bible study leader, I'm busy. We got our small group tomorrow and I'm busy at work. I don't have time, let alone even like the resources or the library to do nine steps that involve very close exegesis, looking at intertestamental literature, et cetera, et cetera, or diagnosing 20 different options for what's happening when Hebrews uses Jeremiah 31. Yeah. I've got 30 minutes. Hmm. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we are on a book club episode with Dr. Greg Lanier. His new book, Old Made New, and it's published by Crossway. So if you go to our show notes, you can find a link to Crossway and grab that book for yourself, some information on Greg Lanier, as well as a link to find a reformed church and confessional churches. And then there's some information on how to contact Peter about his upcoming upcoming church plant. And then there's some other information about how to connect with us through as the podcast through either email, guiltgracepod at gmail.com, Twitter, or Instagram. There's information on how to become a bridge builder, donate some money to us, help us bridge the gap and keep growing and doing well. So we will jump into this episode and again, introduce, I think for the third time, <laughs> Dr. Greg Lanier. I think it's the fourth, actually. I, I think it is actually the fourth. We did, remember oh, we did, yeah. yeah, we did like a double episode one day, yeah. Corpus and your Corpus and the Covenant thing, and then the Septuagint oh, episode man. with Ross. That's right. You, you have me be... as a third host, man. That's right. Yeah. 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 We'll send the contract after this episode. To... I'll bring so many sponsors. It'll be great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how's like it going? Video game. Like we can have some video game sponsors. <laughs> right. Candy Crush Saga or whatever. Be awesome. That's, That's right. We were joking before the recording that uh, you keep putting out all these amazing good works and it's an occupational hazard to keep coming on our show. You're like, Oh man, I got to talk to those guys again. Yeah. If you ever play yeah. <laughs> book through crossway, it's just, it's an automatic entrance on our show. Yeah. 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 Good so deal. fair warning for those crossway authors, all you, all you thousands who are listening to us. That's, <laughs> that's, that's occupational hazard to doing it. I think yeah, it's, it's really under contract. While, though. I have to come up with some other reason to be honest, to be it for quite some time. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on. How, how are things been going since we last talked? Uh, yeah, fine. Um, normal, normal things going on. So. Heck yeah. Well, I don't think we've actually <clears throat> heard kind of your background. So we introduced a question more lately that we haven't been asking previous, but just so people know who you are, because people know that you work at uh, reformed seminary in, in Orlando, but maybe some of your background, some of your work, how you got into writing some of this stuff and Septuagint or the New Testament use of the old. So just people get to know you a little bit, quick little summary of, of who, of who Greg is. Yeah. There's, there's a, uh, a, a friend of mine and our kids are in school together and he, he always introduces me to people. It's like, Oh, he, he teaches at RTS. And I was like, dude, you got to lead with something cooler than that. Like, that's an automatic <laughs> Conversation ender. Like, say he's form, he's awesome and uh, good looking. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Well, before I ended up at RTS Orlando, and actually before I even entered, entered ministry, I was I was working in, in business for about seven years, uh, doing management consulting, investing, uh, project management, that kind of thing. I, I actually studied computer science of all things mm. at UNC Chapel Hill, but that was back before it was cool. Yeah. When I was in, in computer, no, it's, I mean, it's because computer nerds run the world now and it's like yeah. cool. But in, in 99 to, to 2003, this was post dot com bubble. Mm. Nobody respected computer nerds. And so I was like, I was there and it, I had zero street cred. Uh, I was just ahead of, I was ahead of the curve, I guess. But, um, and then I didn't do it at all. I mean, I, I still hack around a bit, but, 
Uh, I don't, I don't really know how to do programming anymore these days. Uh, so yeah, then I went, it's a long story. We went into ministry after that. Um, but yeah, I've been teaching at RTS Orlando for about six and a half years now and uh, married to Kate. We've been married, uh, almost 16 years now and, uh, we have three daughters and, uh, yeah, life, life's good. So I'm also part-time associate pastor at a Presbyterian church up in Lake Mary, uh, north right, of yeah. Orlando and do a variety of things uh, in that capacity. Hmm. And uh, I, I used to play basketball, but I can't anymore. Oh. Just because it's not worth the injuries. I do play soccer with the kids and coach them. So that's pretty fun. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the sort of uh, kids between six and 12, which is a really sweet time of life. Hmm. And we do all kinds of fun stuff. So I wish we could press pause on this. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. huh? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So and I see people with like little infants in our neighborhood. I'm like, you know, I'm good. Like, I don't miss that phase. Yeah. Yeah. Nick's about to hit that again. He's about to have another oh. infant. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so much fun when they like read and play soccer and, you know, mess around, you know, joke with you and stuff like that. So anyway, I mean, every phase is good. So anyway, that that's kind of the background. Yeah. Uh, of, of me personally. Uh, you asked a whole bunch of other follow ons. <laughs> so, which ones do you want me to answer? Yeah. What, what got you into Septuagint work, kind of New Testament, you stole old, all, all that stuff? Uh, I, pro- I don't know if I was aware of much of this prior to seminary. Okay. I, I mean, it's hard to remember back. It's hard to remember what you used to not know. Um, but I, I do remember in seminary, and it wasn't a big focus. At least I went to RTS Charlotte. It wasn't a huge focus like it is now with Will Ross being there. You know, I remember vaguely hearing about the Septuagint. And obviously, when you're studying the New Testament, you can't get away from the Old Testament. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I didn't know a lot about it. But I kind of caught the bug then. I wrote some papers on it. Uh, and really, it was in doctoral work where my whole thesis was on Luke's use of the Old Testament. And Luke, by and large, uses a Greek version of the old of what we call the Old Testament as opposed to the Hebrew. And so I guess professionally, that's when I really started getting into it more was uh, in in doctoral work. And uh, it became much more of a a scholarly interest of mine through that. So I kind of straddle, you know, I'm a New Testament guy. And so if you want to play around an Old Testament as a New (laughs) Testament guy, you have to do Septuagint stuff. Yeah. Uh, or use the old and the new. So that's kind of where I dabble. And that's where that's where Batman and our dynamic duo, he's more <laughs> of a special Septuagint guy, Will Ross. Who's Batman and Robin, though, in this in this relationship? Well, he's Batman, and, and we've decided that I'm actually Lucius Fox. I'm not Robin. <laughs> I'm the kind of wizard behind the 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 uh the technology. So at least that's how <laughs> I define it. He may call me Robin, but uh I, I, I refuse that. <laughs> yeah. You guys at RTS are pumping out a lot of good works. Yeah, and, you guys are. Jeez, man. Uh, yeah, Ben Glad. Even um, obviously, we people know about him on our show, and he wrote a nice little comment about uh, your book as well. Yeah. And um, this is a really good book. Not to not to uh, puff up your ego about anything, but uh, this is an amazing book. Uh, I I've read it pretty fast, and um, it's it's. I think, I think every Christian really needs to have this. I mean, make it happen, man. Make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inflation, I mean, tuition. You know, we got we got things to pay for. Um, <laughs> and my wife really appreciates it because it's it's hands down the prettiest cover. It's uh, a really nice cover. No, there's no the books, doubt about it. I was very pleased with that. Um, yeah. And it actually looks even better in person because the, the the lettering is kind of glossy and stuff. It is. Yeah, that's yeah, a really nice. If, yeah, nothing guys, else is going to look good on your shelf. That's right. If you guys don't want to read it, just put like frame it or something. Put it in your yeah. put in your bookcase and just frame it. Looks good. Yeah, it's a very good guide for you guys. Get it for your Bible study groups or whatever. Um, it's just <clears throat> not sorry, not to interrupt. But on that note, yeah. I'm not sure if you saw it on the cross. The study guide, yeah. Yeah. So at oh. my wife's encouragement, actually, she was like, you know, you got to she t- She's told me for years, you got to get into the Bible study game. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, I gotta, I'll, I'll try. You got to follow try. Nancy Guthrie. You got to follow her. I know Nancy Guthrie and Jen Wilkins, right. but I'll try. And so I channeled and she 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 kindly blurred it as well. She's a good friend of RTS. Nancy is. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I put on my best Nancy Guthrie impersonation. <laughs> I did write a study guide. Uh, and it's available free in PDF form. There's also a like a spiral bound yep. print yep. on demand. 
option as well. And so um, I do hope that that could be, you know, I just came out like it just hit hit like two weeks ago. So I don't know if anyone's used it yet, but um, I hope it's a helpful way to use the book in a, in a Bible study. It's not, it wasn't originally conceived to to do that. It's not actually just like a Bible study guide. So there's a companion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I will jump into my first question. Um, it, your book begins laying groundwork for the three-step process of identifying the <clears throat> passage, double-clicking on the Old Testament, and listening to the, the remix. So could you introduce that these tools of the trade for uh, work for the audience? Yeah, and, and a remix is very appropriate because we just had the Grammys, so that works. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. the famous Grammys now. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I kick off that way, and really, the, the 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 reason why I wrote a book like this, there's obviously tons of stuff out there on the use of the old and new, including by Ben Glad and also yep. another RTS. Now, now he's a colleague, uh, Greg Beal. Um, and I, there's tons of it out there, and I mentioned some in the bibliography, of course. Yep. I, I became persuaded um, and, and Crossway as well that there, for all of the amazing stuff that's been done in this general field, and there was kind of a, re, a, a rebirth of it in the 60s with Dodd, 50s and 60s with Dodd, and then you have Richard Hayes and then like a thousand other people after that. <laughs> uh, and so it's not, it's not like a new scholarly thing, but very few, if any, of the, the writings and research that's been done in this area, Paul's use of Isaiah or Mark's use of whatever, um, very few is pitched at a, an audience of just regular people yeah. who just love the Bible and want to learn more and don't know what Midrash means or how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what Midrash is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, no one knows really what, yeah. what I mean by Midrash, so that's fine. Um, and so I was like, so, someone needs to try to write a book that lay people, i.e. my mom, uh, she gets a shout out in the book, can can and would want to read. And the closest thing was, is Beale's uh, handbook. Yep. And it's great. Use it all the time. Assign it to students. But I was finding that even my seminary students, for all of its merits, and it's very good, even my seminary students with biblical languages mm-hmm. struggled with the book. And it's not because it's not because the book is flawed or any in any way. Again, it's a great book, but it's because the topic is so complicated, and the, and the book sort of reflects that. Uh, and and really, everything else is methodologically complicated. Yeah. And there's words like hermeneutics and Gezerashua yeah. and all these things. So all the time. Like you can't you can't get past the first page of most of this stuff without being just thoroughly overwhelmed. Yeah. With it's pitched at a high audience too. Exactly. And so I was like, all right, maybe it's just impossible to translate it to the pew, but I'm going to at least try. Yep. Uh, and so that was where it all came from. And I, I, st- I did it actually, I, I sort of started fleshing this all out in a series of seminars in something we mm-hmm. call teaching women to teach here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I test drove it during the pandemic with like six people in Sunday school, uh, unfortunately, but um and th- so the three steps are my attempt at saying, all right, if I'm a layperson Bible study leader, I'm busy. We got our small group tomorrow and I'm busy at work. I don't have time, let alone even like the resources or the library to do nine steps that involve very close exegesis, looking at intertestamental literature, et cetera, et cetera, or diagnosing 20 different options for what's happening when Hebrews uses Jeremiah 31. Yeah. I've got 30 minutes hmm. and, a, and, a, and an ESV or NIV. So I said, all right, if that's me, what are the three steps I just need to do to make sure I do this right? And that's where the three-step process came from. I want it to be memorable. I want it to be something that your average, you know, reasonably interested layperson. Um, and could, I hope it's useful for pastors. I hope it's useful for students as well. You can basically take these three steps and do them for six hours, or you could do it in 20 minutes. What is something, you know, what are three steps that they could remember that they could apply, they could actually do? And in fact, that you could even do in a Bible study. Uh, as a, You're not going to be pulling out the Dead Sea Scrolls in a Bible study. That's <laughs> maybe my Bible study. Um, <laughs> uh of, of nerds so um the, 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 the first bible and that's just an occupational hazard the first uh the first step is is actually 
less obvious than it sounds. And it's identified that the New Testament is actually using the Old Testament to begin with. And by the way, on that note, I don't know if we talked about this, but it's important for me to clarify, this book is not about how to read the Old Testament. And it's not about how to find Jesus in the Old Testament. There's plenty of books on that. This is about what to do when the New Testament actually uses the Old Testament in some sort of way. So just to clarify. Anyway, so the first step is knowing that that's happening. And most of the time, that's not too hard. Good study Bibles these days uh, or good sort of modern English translations tend to signal it through quotation marks. And sometimes the writers themselves say, as it is written in Hosea or whatever, uh, sometimes it's less obvious. And in my in the section where I develop these tools in the book, I go through one example in Luke where it's actually two quotations back to back, but only one is is consistently flagged as such in English translations. The other is not always. And so you may miss it. Of course, if you're using the King James, it doesn't flag anything as quotations. It doesn't use quotation marks. So you're a little bit more in the dark there. But, you know, NASB bold stuff, yep. most translations put in quotation marks. So the first step is knowing that you're doing that, that they're doing something with it. And, and if it's more obscure, if it's more faint, uh, then you might have to rely on your study notes uh, in an English Bible. Sometimes a commentary, of course, will point that kind of stuff out. So step one is identifying it. And also, and we may come back to this, part of that process is, is the New Testament author explicitly telling you oh, yeah. that he's quoting something? Or is he just doing it and you may not realize it? Hmm. And this is kind of the, uh, the first category is more like a, I am doing it to bring evidence to the table to prove something to you. Like I might cite, I don't know, uh, some famous author to try to prove my point, as Aristotle said or whatever. Or Aquinas. Uh, Aquinas. I don't have a hot take for you on Aquinas. By <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be careful. With I don't word. have a hot take on reform Thomism. You had to get someone else <laughs> yeah. on the podcast for that. Whole you say Aquinas, all the, all the evangelicals come out with, with hot fervor. Or do they? Do they? Uh, anyway, so sometimes uh, New Testament often, something like 240 times, they explicitly say, as it is written. Uh, but other times they may not. And that's kind of the, the Pixar or DreamWorks approach, where if you pick up what they're throwing down, it's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. That's from Exodus, I didn't, even though they didn't tell me. But if, you, if you're not, uh, if you're slower on the uptake, it still makes sense. You just may not realize that it's from the Old Testament. So step one is identify that this is taking place. Step two, and this is the step that is most easily skipped. And indeed, you know, I did a, a doctor of ministry course on this general topic. Paul's used the Old Testament last summer and test drove the book with that group as well. And it was interesting having conversations with that group of uh, guys in ministry who are who are pursuing their demon, because we all admit it is like it is so easy, especially when preaching, like when if Paul's quoting from something to just acknowledge it and move on. Mm. Because it takes time. Uh, you're like, how many places do I want to flip? Uh, and you know, and I and I gave them as their assignments like dense pl- places like Romans <laughs> yeah. nine, like for their practice sermons like Romans nine, Galatians, oh. a few other places where it's like eleven quotations in a row, and so that was pretty mean. But the, the point was, what are you going to do with this? Because you can't, you're not going to pre- unless you're like Martin Lloyd Jones or something, you're not going to preach forty sermons on Romans nine. Yeah. And so, what do you do with it? Um, and so. What I'm trying to cultivate in people and myself is when you actually identify the New Testament is actually using something from Genesis, Deuteronomy, whatever, you need to go and look it up. Now, that sounds super obvious. And for many people, it is obvious. But for others, it's not like, oh, I've never had a pastor do that. It's like, well, or it's like, here's, oh, this is from the Bible. Let's move on. Um, so I call that double clicking. You could start pinch zooming, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. uh, where you need to go back. And if it's a quotation from Deuteronomy 30 or Exodus 20 or whatever, go and read at least the whole chapter. You don't got to study the whole book. You may not have time for that, but at least skim the chapter, figure out what is going on in this passage. Why on earth did James use it or whomever? Mm -hmm. Uh, What led them to it? Where are we in the history of Israel? Mm -hmm. You know, is this in the Pentateuch? Is this the story of the patriarchs? Or is this from the law section? Is this from the Psalms? Is this from a pre-exilic prophet announcing doom? Is this from a post-exilic prophet announcing whatever? 
and spend some time reading it. And the reason why that stuff is super important is that 99 times out of 100, in my view, and we can get into that, that's maybe more the, uh, the hot take area, um, 99 times out of 100, if not 100% of the time, the key to understanding what Paul or Luke or Matthew or Jesus is doing with an Old Testament passage becomes clear when you study the Old Testament passage. That seems pretty obvious, but it's not in the scholarship. Most scholars would say, well, it's some sort of complicated Jewish hermeneutic that's Pesher, Midrash, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, actually, what if, hear, hear me out, what if Matthew <laughs> Lots actually than that. read Deuteronomy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if yeah. Paul knew Isaiah really well? And what if he's just applying what he learned in studying Isaiah? Maybe that's a possibility. And so what do we need to do if that's the case? Yeah. If they're actually using these Bible passages in a way that's sympathetic and, and, and informed by the context, I'm like, yeah, this is what I say it's about. It's about Israel being stupid and wandering away from God and judgment's going to come. And then there's going to be this restoration through an anointed Messiah figure of some sort. That's Isaiah in a nutshell. Maybe Paul was familiar with that. And maybe that should inform how we understand how he's using Isaiah, as opposed to thinking that they're doing something crazy. And that's the default assumption in so much of the scholarship even among some evangelicals, actually, yeah. is that the, the apostolic writers are just kind of playing fast and loose with the Bible. And therefore, we shouldn't do the same because they're just like making, they're just winging it. I'm like, maybe they're not winging it. Maybe <laughs> the problem is us. Maybe we don't know the Old Testament very well. Yeah. And we're bringing our kind of broken knowledge of the Old Testament to this use of Jeremiah in some place. We're like, oh, that's super obscure. That's not messianic. So therefore, they're making it up. I'm like, well, maybe they're actually just smarter than we are. <laughs> and so yeah. that's my bit of a rant. But uh, the point of all that is the only way you sort of control for your own blind spots, the only way to get over this idea that they're all just like making stuff up from Hosea Matthew 2 or whatever, yeah. is to go back and read the passage and see what, what's going on here and how does that then shape the way I should study it. And, um, and so the, a key part of the step, and again, you don't have to have a PhD to do this. The Bible is, okay, there's, pl- okay, there's lots of passages that are not as equally clear. Ze- Zechariah is a hard book. <laughs> um, yeah. But in general, it's not rocket science to go back and read whatever section of Deuteronomy you're in and get a feel for what's going on. You might have some other questions. That's fine. Go ask you guys. Um, but that's the stuff that so many people I think skip or they, they give it sort of short, uh, short circuit of the process. And, and if it, just doing that alone is, mm. is super, super important. Now, of course it requires some level of invested interest in the whole old Testament and to make sense of a quotation of Habakkuk 2, which shows up a lot in Romans and Galatians, yeah. you need to know something about Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. Um, and most, most folks don't know a, a thing about Habakkuk. And so it may, you may, may need to figure out, okay, where are we? What's happening with Habakkuk? But you can spend 10 minutes and go Wikipedia that and figure it out, right? Uh, and, and one of the things that I've given, or not given, but one of the things I put on the Crossway product page, in addition to the study guide, is a reading plan. Mm-hmm. which I've had for a while, but mm-hmm. basically it, it cherry picks 200 passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament that follows the basic storyline yeah. from creation through exile uh, and restoration from exile. And it matches New Testament passages with it that are relevant so that in a reasonable amount of time, you can get the big mm-hmm. sweep of the story. You don't yeah. have to read all almost 1200 chapters and try to like pound through that in a year you can take your time and do that so that's another resource people don't have to kind of up their game on understanding the old testament so that's the second step go study the old testament third step listen to the remix now i ask you guys what did you think of the remix meta uh, remix metaphor what do i mean <laughs> by the remix metaphor i was thinking of music <laughs> yeah it is it is uh, a music metaphor yeah it's <clears throat> it's putting uh for lack of a better word old testament intention yeah. old testament um, background, Old Testament context with the New Testament. Yeah. Okay, what's how is how is this now being used? Um, not to change the message necessarily, but to combine it with the New Testament author for it's got a new like a, this fuller meaning now that we can yeah. we can read. See, um, it's not different than the Old Testament. It's just now to its fullest extent. As a one of our professors, Dr. Estelle said, there's there's a instant coffee in the Old Testament, and the apostles just pour in some espresso. 
to make it a to make it a little bit stronger. Um, they they right. see performance. So that's that's how I took it. Yeah, yeah. No, that yeah. I, I have to think about the coffee metaphor. That's interesting one. That's the pivoting <laughs> metaphor. But yeah, that's basically right. So and I, and I struggle with okay, how do I get this idea across? Because when I'm trying to navigate, and this is where so many books get bogged down, is they're trying to figure out a way to navigate a sense of continuity of meaning yep. between old and new, because, you know, one divine author, at least from a reform perspective, we believe in that, uh, that there is an immense amount of continuity uh, between God's purposes in, uh, with ancient Israel and, uh, you know, post the coming of Jesus. But there's also an element of discontinuity that you're trying to sort out because when yeah. Jesus comes, that really does make a make a difference. That really does change everything. It's not just copying and pasting. Mm -hmm. It would make no sense for them to copy and paste from Leviticus into uh, Matthew and assume that nothing had changed at all. Hmm. Um, and that's the flaw of sort of you know critical grammatical historical exegesis, uh, which I never use that in the book. For, you know, intentionally, because again, I'm trying to pitch it to a particular audience, yep. but it's kind of behind the scenes that one, for all of its benefits, the flaw with that is that you just sort of assume that the only option Paul has, if he's not going to just make stuff up, is to effectively copy and paste. Well, that makes no sense of the coming of Jesus. So there is an element of sharp discontinuity and fullness, and history is moving somewhere, uh, with the coming of Jesus, although I argue in the book that there's there's elements of this even in the Old Testament itself, as they're mm -hmm. looking back and seeing prophecies even in their own day being fulfilled. Yep, yep. So the remix idea is I'm trying to think of okay, what what's a way to help a layperson get their head around the idea that the the apostles and Jesus are faithful to the original message, but that even the original message was had the seeds of something that would go beyond itself when Jesus comes yep. Yep. and that's the discontinuity. So a remix, I think it's not a perfect analogy, but uh, the idea is a, a new Testament author is remixing the old Testament. What we mean by that, or what I mean by that is a good remix makes the original obvious. Yeah. You know, it's the stones, right. Or, you know, it's Aretha yeah. Franklin or whomever, <laughs> but the remix is a remix for a reason. It's not just playing the original song. It's, Maybe you're changing the tempo, you're adding some harmony, you're Add some espresso, whatever you're doing. And, um, and that's bringing out sort of new elements that may have been latent in the original. Uh, and you're, you're drawing attention to that. So it's obvious that it's the original song in some sense. It's hmm. not a new song altogether, but hmm. it has undergone uh, a transformation to bring out some freshness. And so that's what I argue the New Testament authors are doing. And so our job then, having studied what's going on originally in the Old Testament, is to say, all right, well, how is Paul remixing this? In what sense is he, you know, how is his reading of Deuteronomy consistent with the original context? But how is it changed in light of the new era that we're in? That's all you're trying to do. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Uh, I give three as the main options, that it's a, a fulfillment of a prophecy. I channeled my inner Baptist and came up with three piece. Um, <laughs> you gotta have alliteration. I don't even know. I don't have an inner Baptist, but uh, I grew up Moravian of all things. But um, yeah, it's either a fulfilled prophecy, which many people stop there and think everything's just a prophecy, but that's not true. Um, we can get into that if you want, but a fulfilled prophecy, uh, it's a pattern that's being repeated. So a great example is Acts 7. Uh, this is when Stephen goes through all the Old Testament and yep. says, just as your fathers did in their day, so also you are doing today. Hmm. It's a repetition of a pattern, uh, or it's a prescriptive um, where God said, don't murder in the Old Testament. That's still true in the New Testament. It's actually not much of a remix here. It's like, you know, still don't murder and <laughs> uh, don't commit adultery or, or what have you. So uh, there may be some others, but I think those three are at least sufficiently sort of covering the waterfront. So that's the final step. What is, you know, John doing with in remixing Ezekiel here or whatever. So uh, that's the final step. So anyway, that's a long that's a long discussion. It's actually much shorter. Probably you could probably read the book faster than you just listen. To that. <laughs> um, but I at least gave you the uh, the color commentary. Yeah, so totally. That's, oh, good. That's it. Good yeah. stuff. No, good stuff. Good stuff. I, I think um, when I was reading it, 
it just helped me feel more confident, even with a, an apologetic flavor of knowing what and why a New Testament author is saying what they're saying in, in the context. And I can back it up to somebody else if I'm in a conversation of where and why did Paul say something or Jesus say something. It just helps my conversations as a believer, whether yeah. it's with another Christian or a non-believer. Um, just proving more and more that the Bible is true. It's just amazing that, you know, even in Isaiah, 700 years before Christ is talking exactly about the suffering servant and all these things are very clearly Christ. And, and uh, Paul obviously knows the Old Testament very, very well. And to your point, these New Testament authors, all they really had was the Old Testament to go off of and write their new uh, to, 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 to write what they're writing and, and to the people around them knew the old Testament for the most right. part. So it's not like they had all the new Testament, like we do in front of them. And then they're writing the new Testament. No, they just had the old Testament. So right. helpful stuff. Thank you for that. I was, um, you pretty much answered my next question for time. I kind of want to help make, make this a little more practical for the audience based on what you're saying. I'm flipping to, Here's a really good example of how you use the book. You have tables. You do a lot of the hard work for us. So you connect Old and um, New Testament scripture together for us. So we're not sitting there like, this is a really good, helpful thing you said, but how do I actually tie certain passages? You already, you do that in this book. And so here's one um, on page 90, you have uh, the Last Supper, which is talked about in Luke 22. 22 verse 20 and so step one identify the passage is an allusion to uh from exodus 24 and jeremiah 31 then you go to double click the old testament you talk about both those how they connect to luke 22 and then you go to step three listen to the remix i grew up on 90s hip-hop so my mind would just automatically went there <laughs> sorry and then uh, the best era of hip-hop that's, yeah, that's right absolutely and then so step three you have three choices prediction pattern prescription and you chose prediction and pattern for these uh for these two old Testament. Old Testament verses connecting to Luke 22. Yeah, so pattern pattern for Exodus 24, because Jesus hmm. is taking, he's, he's referring to a covenant being established in blood, which is what Moses does in Exodus 24. He throws the blood on everyone. And then it's prediction for Jeremiah 31, because he's, he's literally predicting a new covenant to come. And in the future, and Jesus says, okay, that day is today. This is the quote unquote new covenant in my blood. So it's, it's a, a blend of both of those two. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll combine a couple questions um, with this. Cause yeah, you've already kind of covered the illusion and some of the quoting, but I'll, I'll kind of combine that with what the question that I have with uh, cause there's, there's sometimes when the, when the old Testament's quoted explicitly that some of the authors change some of the wordings. And so we, when we look back at the old Testament, we're like, well, that's not what they said in the old Testament. <clears throat> we see what Paul's doing in some portions We're like, Oh, that's a different word. Or um, that's a different phrase than they used before. So like what, what in some of these more maybe nuanced and so somebody's does have kind of backgrounds I'm asking for so those who may have a background are kind of wondering about some of these when the old Testament or the New Testament's quoting this. Generally speaking, like what are they what are they doing when they're changing some of this stuff? Or like are they changing scripture? Are they changing what the old testament authors said? Are they are they doing something that we shouldn't be doing with the old testament? How how does some of that stuff work with this stuff too? Yeah, and that, that's one of those, like, deep, deep cans of worms that's, like, as soon as you start playing around in the sandbox, <laughs> yeah. you're like, that, this is why it gets so complicated so fast. Yeah, so this is a, great, a question I had for a long time. Question. Because, actually, I mean, in general, um, it's hard to quantify, but probably more often than not, you're going to notice some kind of thing like that, yeah. as opposed to just a perfect word for word. Yeah, because so, a lot of them are not verbatim. Right. And so uh, before people hit the panic button, and this is I try to avoid the panic button, people hitting the panic button. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a handful of things you have to recognize uh, as possible explanations before you automatically jump to the conclusion, Matt, if you pick up the reference of um, anyone know the office space reference there and jump to the conclusion, jump to the conclusion. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> Speaking of 90s, um, 90s yeah. hip hop, in fact. Yeah. Um, a great, a great movie. Anyway, um, 
you don't want to automatically jump to the New Testament authors monkeyed with the wording. You don't want to automatically jump to that. Here's a few reasons why. First, unless you, for most people, we are operating in an English environment mm-hmm. or Spanish or French or whatever. And the New Testament is translated from what? Pop quiz is translated from? Greek. And the Old Testament translated from? Uh, Hebrew with some Aramaic. With a smidge of Aramaic. Exactly. There you go. You passed. Um, and and I do this all the time with my Greek students I've had married couples in Greek class together and uh, I'll I'll point out like okay look at look at how you translated this on this quiz and how did your spouse translate it are they identical and rarely if ever have they had an identical translation from Greek into English uh, even if they've been married for 30 years I'm like okay Mm -hmm. that's because it's it's almost impossible to have a perfect sort of machine generated word for word translation. The fact that you have one Old Testament committee translating from the Hebrew, one committee translating from the Greek, even that alone is going to sometimes introduce differences because Hebrew is not the same thing as Greek and translating from both of those languages isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. It's, it's impossible to be perfect. So that alone could account for um some of it. So then you're like, all right, well, I'm a nerd and I looked at the original languages. All right. That's where we can really have the conversation. The second thing you have to realize before you automatically jump to the idea that Paul changed the text, you have to acknowledge that we don't know what text he had in front Hmm. of him. That's the single biggest factor. Uh, Just like in an English church, you know, you could have a pastor working from the NASB. You could have a pastor who's using ESV. You could have someone in the pew who's got Span- the La Reina Valera, the Spanish translation. You don't necessarily know. Um, the, the copy of the Hebrew that we use for our English Bible dates to roughly the early Middle Ages. I think there's very good reason to think it is a extraordinarily close approximation yeah. to what the early church had, but we know it's not perfect. Even the folks who copied it, the Masoretic scribes admit that it's not perfect. And we know for a fact that there were other potential options floating around. And what we do with all that evidence is we try to work our way backwards and say, well, what was probably the original text? But every synagogue that Paul is visiting, if that's where he's going to go look up something, if he's writing a letter to, to Rome and he's writing in Corinth and he goes to the local synagogue because he didn't carry all that stuff with him, whatever, they're not all going to be perfectly identical. We didn't have a printing press or a computer back then. And so you, you can't always, in fact, rarely, if ever, can you say that you know for sure what James or Paul or Jesus had in front of them. You just can't. We don't have that evidence. We don't have the manuscript of Isaiah that Paul used. And it may be very close to what we have today. It may not be. Is that a problem? No. Um, Copies were imperfect. The original source was where we, we locate inspiration, but copies weren't always perfect. And so uh, Paul is going to use whatever he has that available to him. And yeah. uh, generally speaking, it happens to be very, very close to what we have, but not always. So that's another thing is you can't always prove it. And then uh, the third factor is we don't know exactly um, in, in every case whether John and Paul and the others were directly looking at an actual manuscript, hmm. looking it up, or... Uh, and we don't know which manuscript they would have been using. Uh, we don't know if they're citing it from memory because they learned it growing up. We don't know if they learned it uh, from, you know, it being read in the synagogue week by week. We see that in Acts. Uh, there could be a lot of different ways that they access the Bible, just like uh, you do as well. I mean, my, my heart Bible language is uh, the NIV 84. That's what I grew up with. So mm-hmm. I still have things memorized in that way, not ESV. Uh, and then older generations, it's, you know, they, they, they believe KJV. So same thing is true back then. Mm. There, point being, there's a lot of moving parts to try to figure out what version of any given passage did John or Paul have in front of them or in their mind. And only then, can, if, you, if you know that, only then can you say that they, quote unquote, changed it. Uh, otherwise, it could just be they're using a different version that had a slight word order change or a slightly different verb. And we don't know why, and we can have the conversation about which one is the right one. Um, but that's just a, a, a reality. Um, a couple other peripheral, but very, very important uh, considerations. 
some of the authors in the New Testament apparently don't know Hebrew. Hmm. Paul certainly did. Matthew, I think, almost certainly did as a, a tax collector who was Jewish. I think John uh, tends to go back and forth. But Luke, Hebrews, maybe some others, uh, they don't appear to have any ability to use Hebrew or it's barely anything, if, if at all. Uh, and so if they can't use the Hebrew, then mm-hmm. they're going to be defaulting to what? And you know this based on prior podcasts. But <clears> the Septuagint. Septuagint. The, the quote unquote. Yeah, the quote unquote Septuagint. Some, some Greek version. That <laughs> yeah. And that version may have already introduced some sort of translational change or what have you. And so they're just going to use that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the last factor is sometimes, and the, you know, one thing we have to realize is that we have modern quotation conventions that you have to do to not get in trouble. Yeah. It has to be verbatim. You have to source it. You have to have a nice footnote in Turabian style. And if you change anything, you got to use brackets or ellipses mm-hmm. or whatever. We have our modern conventions, but that is a very modern thing. That's not how it worked in the ancient world. Didn't even work that way in the Middle Ages. Um, and so back in the old days, if you will, anybody who's quoting somebody else, there was way more flexibility in how you do it. Hmm. You could change the verbs to make it work with your new context. Uh, you might change word order because you want to or because you have some reason to. You might do a slightly different verb that's a synonym. If you look at how both Jews and Christians and pagans, if you want to call them that, uh, how they quoted Homer how they quoted Euripides, how they quoted uh, Plato. They did that all the time. They're not usually actually doing it verbatim. It's considered not to be very polished to do that, to copy and paste. You're supposed to kind of make it your own. And so it's no surprise that the New Testament authors do that as well, actually to a much less degree than, than mm-hmm. some of their contemporaries. They're more, they're more sensitive to the original wording than they're often given credit for. So point of all that, this is why I said it's a big can of worms. Don't freak out if your English version of Deuteronomy, whatever in Romans, doesn't match what you have in your English version of Deuteronomy. It could be a translational issue. It could be Paul using the Greek Old Testament or he's citing it from memory. And he could be massaging the word in because that's what people did. It doesn't mean that they're changing the Bible. Uh, All that means is go back and look up the passage and sort of understand what's going on. And you'll realize, oh, he's not changing the Bible at all. He might be slightly tweaking the wording, just like I might off the cuff when I'm preaching but I'm not doing it in a sort of nefarious way. It's just how it worked back then. And we have to kind of remember that we're talking about 2000 years ago without Microsoft word. Um, and it's just a different ball game and not to kind of automatically assume there's some sort of conspiracy theory going on that your pastor never told you about. Cool. Yeah. That that's a good response to a critic of the Bible or an unbeliever that is trying to do a gotcha moment. Or even like saying, a scared Christian who's reading a who uh, who's reading a quote is like, well, that's not what the Deuteron like that's not what, what was it said in Deuteronomy. Why why is yeah. he switching it? Where he's they're freaking out and saying, I, I can't I can't do this. I don't know I don't know what to do with this stuff. Well, one other way to think about it, if you want to talk apologetics, mm. what if if the early Christians were trying to pull a fast one on the world, and you know, if I were trying to create a lie and a propaganda movement to take over the world, mm-hmm. I would not allow any of that stuff to happen. Just like I wouldn't allow the, the sort of oddities about the resurrection appearances and the yeah. four gospels. I wouldn't allow that stuff to stay. Right. What am I going to do? I'm going to go and make sure everything is very smoothed out. Yep. That every quotation of Isaiah or Genesis matches across the board because I'm going to try to shut down any possible defeaters, if you will, uh, from every corner. That's what I would do if I'm trying to uh, fabricate some sort of movement. And the fact that not only did the apostles not do that, but even the early scribes not do that, Mm. they resisted the temptation to smooth things out. Sometimes it did happen, but in general, it doesn't. Um, I think that's a kind of a weird indirect argument for the authenticity of Mm. the early church, uh, that they're not trying to fabricate the evidence. They're like, yeah, James quotes this passage and Paul quotes this passage. It's the same passage and the wording slightly different. And that's fine. I'm going to let that stand because again, this is how we operated. That's how it was. I'm not going to try to cram everything into this like perfect uh, pristine world. So Hmm. you can actually, you can flip it around on the critic and say, well, actually, if, if it were some nefarious 
uh, Dan Brown kind of thing going on, we would expect the evidence to be the, the complete opposite than what it is. The fact that it is um, more complicated to me is a great argument for its authenticity. And and if you're an eyewitness to seeing something from Isaiah fulfilled in Christ, I don't think you're initially going to be like, oh, oh, wait, let me literally say exactly what, right. you know, copy and paste. You're going to say, I saw this fulfillment. This is how I saw right. it. And, and, and you're going you're to pull either uh, in, in the most vague terms, illusions, but it's still going to be your eyewitness explanation right. to that. And even well. if you did go and look it up and copy it yeah. word for word, that copy that you found be different. in the synagogue in Jerusalem might be different than what was in yeah. Corinth. Yeah. Even if it's just a one word difference, it's still a difference. So. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before Nick gets to his last question, um, before we, as, as we land, land this, but I think we kind of covered over it, but just to help people who are looking at this book and, and trying to figure out how to, how to do some of this stuff. Um, but you talked about the difference between <clears throat> a quote, uh, an illusion, um, and then citing some of these things. So maybe, maybe quick, like what, like what are the difference and, and maybe what, what are some of the implications of a direct quotes or an illusion, or just, it looks like it's close to what the old Testament's yeah. talking about. Yeah. And, and there's a whole lot of debate about the labels that we should use. I yeah. settled on those three. So, um, a citation as I define it, I don't really care what terminology you use, but what I mean by that is. Uh, a New Testament author tells you explicitly that they are actually excerpting something. So they'll say, as it is written, or as it has been said, or as God said, or as it is found in Moses, or whatever. So they tell you, I'm using the Bible here. And then they give you some reasonably long string of text from a source passage that you could pinpoint and say, yeah, it's from this place. That's the citation, just like you might cite the IRS code or, or whatever. Uh, a quotation is almost the same thing. What I mean by that is you have a, a sentence or two or some series of words that you can actually say, yeah, that is from Daniel. They just don't tell you it is. Mm -hmm. They just do it. Uh, it's like it just rolls off their tongue. And they so they give you 10 words from Zechariah. They just don't tell you that they're actually doing that. Um, and so that's a quotation, just like I might quote words of uh, C.S. Lewis or whatever in a sermon, but not, you know, if it's really famous, like he's not a safe lion, I don't have to say, as C.S. Lewis said in this book on this page, blah, blah, blah. I can just sort of throw it out there. And if you know, if you know the reference, you know the reference. Yeah. And then an illusion is something where it's not as easy to sort of pinpoint it's from this chapter and verse. Uh, it might be, or it's like a, just a general, like, oh, I'm just going to talk about Abraham here, or we're going to talk about Joshua leading us into the promised land. That's not like a specific chapter and verse. It's like a whole book or a whole character or a whole scene, you know, the mm. Passover. Okay, well, that's a whole thing, not just like a specific verse. So those are the three categories. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons why you might use one versus the other. Uh, a citation is more front and center, like I'm trying to prove to you something based on the authority of God's word. Uh, so that you can't question it because you can go look it up, right? A quotation is almost more for like uh, insiders who who can pick up, like if you quote a movie, but you don't say you're quoting that movie, some of your buddies though might get, like I, like when I did the, uh, the Office Space reference earlier, right. I didn't have to tell you I pulled that from Office Space and maybe some of your listeners would have gotten the reference and laughed even if I didn't actually tell you <laughs> that, right? Yeah. And then an illusion is almost like there's a lot of different ways, reasons you might use, lose, use an illusion. Um, what's particularly interesting about them, though, is that often they're just trying to create a biblical world uh, using some of the symbols and imagery of the Old Testament and say, OK, we're, this is the kind of the world we're inhabiting. So let me talk about Abraham, the promises to Abraham. I'm not chapter and versing you, but I'm like, think about the Bible story. And this is where we are in history. Something like that. There's other ways it may play out, uh, but they're almost. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. If you cite Abraham, if, if you allude to uh, four score and seven years ago or whatever, and that's all you say, some people are like, okay, I'm thinking civil war. I'm thinking emancipation. I'm thinking Gettysburg. Okay. Right. And now, now what, now what I'm, I'm with you now, what are you, what are you doing with that? So it's, it kind of plays again, there's a lot of different ways it can play out. Yeah. So those I, are, those are the options. I think like what you're saying too, is here's another metaphor for you. 
hopefully get it right. Illusions kind of explaining the forest and your quotations and citing is more explaining the leaves of the tree okay. and, and something really specific. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take <laughs> it. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> he was like, oh, I like my, my explanation. Because, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that, I think that's, uh, I think that's a good possibility. Again, you know, there's a lot of flexibility. I, and I try to tell yeah. in, the, in the book, I say, look, don't get bogged down with it. Yeah. I think too much uh, work is spent on, is this an illusion or is this an echo? I'm like, it doesn't really matter. Just go look it up and go with it. Like, just yeah. keep moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one, it's... One thing, as a side note, um, I see it's one of the questions, but it may, maybe we're going to get to it. But <clears throat> one thing that, that is, we haven't really talked about, but it's a key part of the book. And it ties back into the illustrations that you mentioned, the charts and so forth. Mm. The book isn't just about those three steps. Yeah. Uh, right. A, a, the, the book is actually written. The three main chapters are almost equally, if not a more, a more important, where I'm also trying to help people realize why are they using the Old Testament at all? Hmm. Not just sort of the mechanics of how do I do my study, but like, what's the point? And what I try to argue is that there's three main themes by which they bother with the Old Testament at all. Now, most reform nerds, we get very excited about a particular one of these, which is the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's a huge one. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the things I argue in the book is that it's not the only one. And that's sometimes surprising for folks, but I'm just quoting Jesus here. Uh, Yes, the Old Testament does point to Jesus, but it also points to the gospel. And it also points to the church. Yep. And so those are the three chapters I go through the Old Testament and the gospel, the Old Testament and Jesus and the Old Testament and the church. That third chapter in particular, I think, is either where I'm going to uh, people be really excited or certain non-reformed camps might be more annoyed. But I try to go through a lot of detail where the New Testament authors read the scriptures as a book that forms and informs the identity of who we are today. Uh, which, of course, is not a very dispensational idea, um, but I think it's there. I think it's unavoidable. So those three kind of categories are also just as important, because if I'm, in a, if I'm reading the Bible and Paul is quoting from something, I may have been told from the pulpit, and it may have been very exciting to be told this, because I didn't grow up knowing this, that the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's great. That happens a lot. But it's not only that. And if you think it's only ever that, then you do sometimes end up in weird places. Sometimes it's actually about justification. Sometimes it's about the, you know, history coming to its crescendo. Sometimes it's about the mission of the church, uh, the ecclesiological use of scripture, uh, in other words. So I also try to prove all that out in tremendous amount of detail as well, mm-hmm. that those three categories are super important as you're thinking through the use of the old and the new, that they could be doing it to show you something about personal salvation or history, something about the personal work of Jesus or something about the church. And there's a relationship among those three, but it's helpful to distinguish them as well. So I wanted to get that in there for folks to know that yeah. that's a key part of the book as well. Yeah, no, that was good. That was uh, my last question too. So thank you for it. Uh, asking yourself my question. <laughs> no, it, it is see, that's why you've got to hire me, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Right? Right. myself now. That's right. No, we we got we're writing up the contract right now as we're as we're yeah. asking these questions. No, it's a, it's right. it is a helpful guide because when you're talking about uh, something that's specific to the church, it's a guide for the church today, and you know something in a different category, like something about specifically Jesus pointing to the fulfillment of Jesus today, and I mean. One last uh, kind of sub question to get something in from on my end is uh, before we end is, you know, like some things aren't as obvious at first glance. And we've said on the show before uh, the first time the gospel is explains uh, Genesis 315, God explains the gospel. Right. And then even in Genesis four, we could connect that to maybe the church. The first time there's really a a public gathering of worship. Um. So maybe those are two kind of off the top of my head examples, but could you give some examples that might not be as obvious to the audience on those three categories you're mentioning? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, okay. And again, I'm, I'm not looking at it from the old Testament side because like yeah. Genesis three fifteen, with the exception of Romans sixteen twenty, is not explicitly quoted. So that's kind of an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but so I'm only looking at in the book specific places where they do engage with the text of the Old Testament, which isn't everywhere. 
Uh, but in terms of gospel stuff, um, I mean, one key point I make in the book that's enormous, and I don't have time to get into it now, uh, is that the New Testament authors, their first place they go to figure out the gospel is a historical way of understanding it, not just a you need to believe in Jesus so you don't go to hell way of understanding it, although that's also true. They're, they're first thinking in terms of creation, fall, redemption, and we're in the redemption part of the timeline. And over and over again, that's where they go to understand the Old Testament. And, you know, we're heading up, we'll, we'll have Pentecost celebrations coming up, I suppose, depending on when you post this. And that, so that's one good example with all of the stupid debates about tongues and baptism. Well, they're not stupid, but the debates about tongues and baptism from <laughs> Acts chapter two. All that's fine. We can have those debates. I don't want to have those debates, but we can. Uh, more than anything, what Paul, puts me, what Peter does when he quotes Joel is he's thinking about history, that we are in the last days, that something has changed in the matrix. See, there's an illusion. Um, that's more, <laughs> that's far more important than the normativity of tongues or whether, uh, you know, all who are far off refers to baptism, whatever. So that's a good example where he's thinking that the Bible has a timeline and a plan in terms of Jesus. I mean, there's, uh, there's a thousand we could go to for that one. Yeah. So I'm going to just skip that one in terms of the church. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite places where the new Testament develops this, this idea that, that we are eschatological Israel, which is the term I use in the book. Yep. Uh, is when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, of all people. Um, the Corinthians were, by and large, converted pagans. Uh, there were some Jews there, but, I mean, they were a hot mess of a people group. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, A, he uses the Old Testament a bunch, but B, he refers to, he's speaking to mostly Gentile people. And he says, Abraham, our father. And these were our fathers which is an amazing thing he says where he's saying, okay, you converted Corinthians are children of Abraham. That's an amazing thing he says, which I could spend a lot of time talking about, but that's kind of one of those little, like you skip over it easily. It's like, wait a second, think about that. Think about his audience who he's referring to there. He's not talking to Jews there. And so what does that mean for our theology or our ecclesiology? It has massive implications. So again, I get into that in more detail, but I'll leave it at that for now. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, no, that's good. I don't know where Peter just walked off to, so I can. <laughs> well, now have, we have the, the deer, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, do you have any other things that were kind of left hanging that you really wanted to, to explain about this this book? Uh, no, I think I think we've, we've covered enough. Um, one, well, I get there is an appendix at the end that's, that some people, people might find useful yeah. where I I do my best to catalog uh, all of the generally agreed upon places where the New Testament is oh, yeah. either citing, quoting, or alluding to the Old Testament. It's north of 400. Now, some folks are like, oh, it's thousands. Well, you got to limit it somewhere. And so I ended up something in the 400 range. People ask me that all the time. How many times? Well, kind of didn't like count it, but that could be a useful resource where people could, could turn to. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll link to all these resources on the show notes. And you guys can see this on, on Crossroads website, but we'll link them specifically in the show notes. It's a little bit easier to get to some of this, but uh, maybe where, where can people find your work and, and what you're doing faculty page or Twitter or anything like that to, to, to follow what you're doing? Uh, I, I mean, I maintain a personal website where I will link to stuff. Uh, I'm not super active on Twitter and my faculty page is probably out of date, but uh, it, yeah, I looked at it, it is, it is out of date by a couple yeah, of years. <laughs> um, I'll have to get them that data, but yeah. Um, but mainly my, my personal website, which you can just Google Greg Lanier. It's a WordPress page, so it's not super fancy, but it has some stuff there. Awesome. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on for, for the fourth time. We'll send you a contract for for, uh, <laughs> for a, a big yearly contract. You can expect some big numbers yeah, nice. from us to, to, to be the, the third host. But yeah, thanks for coming on talking about this book. It's I think it'll be an incredibly helpful guide for, for Christians looking to see how do I understand how the, how the Old Testament's using the New Testament, what's it talking about. Um, and yeah, like you said, less for just strict categories and more. So like, I just need some help reading my Bible a little bit better and understanding the old Testament. And we're both on this kind of war path. We're trying to, we're trying to get the old Testament better known. I'm trying to get the old Testament better known. And it's just, I think if we understand, like you said, if we understand the old Testament better, we have a fuller picture of what it's doing. Um, I think these new Testament quotations are going to make a lot more sense. Yeah. If we know the Old Testament well, a lot better. You know, it, given that, that that's that's sort of my war path as well. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm a New Testament professor, but most of my classes are just Old Testament classes because I, I can't I can't avoid it. 
Yeah. But if we have any hope of getting new Christians interested in, in both Testaments, and including especially the Old Testament, which is obviously the, the first thing that people are going to like shy away from, I think this is our best place to do it, surprisingly. Yes, I think just let's start in Genesis and read through together. That's fine. Uh, but maybe a different way is, all right, if I've got to convince you to take the Old Testament seriously, but you're at least taking the New Testament seriously, well, turn with me to Matthew 1. And then let's see what he does with the Old Testament. And then that'll show people, oh, well, I'm not going to make sense in the New Testament unless I know the Old Testament as well. So that's maybe yeah. one, <laughs> one strategy isn't just like hit them with the Old Testament. Another strategy is hit them with the New Testament. And when you do that, they, they have to read the Old Testament. Yeah. So <laughs> it intrinsically makes it uh, worthwhile and something that we, uh, we uh, the New Testament doesn't give you the option of, of moving away from the Old Testament and just right. being a new, new, new Testament Christian. It, it makes no sense at all. Uh, from yeah, because they weren't New Testament movie. Christians. They were, they were Old Testament Christians. Right, That's, right. Exactly. Yeah. So from start, Matthew 1 to Revelation 20 and 21, you're, you, the whole thing is booking it with Old Testament quotations, and then it's just throughout. So. Yeah, hopefully people use this for Bible studies, personal reading. Um, pastors, I would encourage you to, to, get a, to get a whole bunch. Use it in your church. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever we can do to get the Old Testament better known and these quotations better known. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. And when, when you have your next thing, or we'll, we'll call you next when we want you on. All right, it, yeah. it'll be a while. Well, the next thing, the next big thing I'm working on is uh, the opposite of this book, and it's namely the the use of non Old Testament stuff. Interesting. Uh, in the New Testament and the influence oh. of non canonical things, but huh. that'll be yeah. So I'm in I'm in the throes of that right now. So. Gotcha. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll mark uh, we'll mark this. Uh, this ambiguous date in our, in our yeah. calendar to, to have you back on, but yeah, thanks for coming on. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again later. Yeah. Thanks. Keep up the good work guys. Hey, a quick little plug for our church plant Santa Ana reformed, which is a United reformed church plant under the oversight of Oceanside United reformed church and Reverend Danny Hyde. We have a couple more Bible studies on Sundays, May 8th, May 15th and May 29th. If you guys want to learn the location of this, please email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. And we are looking forward to, or prayerfully looking forward to, our first informal worship service. And then uh, the location will be announced relatively soon. So follow our Twitter at URC to find out where this will be. We're looking forward to our first informal worship service June 5th, near downtown Santa Ana. So if you'd like to be part of our worship service, either look at our Santa Ana URC Twitter handle or email us again at santaannareformed at gmail.com. If you or someone else you know would like to be part of a local Reformed church to experience this doctrine that we've been talking about, this theology we've been talking about, the finished work of Christ given to sinners by faith accredited to us as perfectly righteous his perfect obedience given to us by faith if you'd like to see this in the context of a local church please do contact us we'd love to see you there to do these three marches of the church pro- proclaiming the gospel administering the sacraments and exercising church discipline faithfully according to god's word we'd love to see you there the sweet fellowship and community that we're building, this core group that we're building to eventually lead to a fully fledged church. Again, we hope to see you there. We hope to see you there. God bless. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world and how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast these guests and most importantly the gospel the doctrines uh, that these guests are are bringing in front of you guys so please do that it helps get in front of more people amen and hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and uh 
after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes. If you're on this podcast, this specific episode, scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating. So we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap, pay for shipping, get nicer stuff, all for the focus of spreading the gospel further. Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.